Today I'm joined by Neil Messick. They have five dealerships. Neil's one of five third-generation family members running the operation that his grandfather started in 1952. We have a whole host of topics today from right to repair to technology and agriculture and use of social media. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your operation. (laughs) So we're located in South Central Pennsylvania. We're a, Messix would be our dealership, right? So I come from a a five location dealership. Uh, We surround Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, Most people would know the cities of Lancaster and Hershey. Those are kind of our geographic area. We historically have been a big ag area. We're a big ag tourism area because of the Amish around here. Big area for dairy. Um, We've lost a lot of our dairies in the last three years or so, but not lost a lot of farmers. All those farms are still in some kind of production agriculture, so we still have a great customer base out there of those guys. We as a, a dealership are a pretty diverse company. So my grandfather would have started the business in 1952. My uncle and dad joined him for several years, and now there are five of us that are third-generation Messics. So uh, my dad and uncle still come to work most days. They take a lot of vacations and don't have real responsibilities anymore. So we're a, a real third-generation business at this point, which I share with my brothers and cousins. Definitely keeps us all busy. That's a pretty amazing transition story. That's something that agriculture always struggles with. Could you talk us through how you got that vision and how that transition happened? Yeah, I think, I mean, our dads would probably tell you that they didn't do anything to force the process. One of our family roles that I think I greatly, greatly appreciate at this point was that there was a never an expectation that we were coming back into this business or even back into this industry. Every one of us went out and kind of chose our own career paths, which ultimately led ourselves back to the the family business. So I, I myself, uh, I got my degree in IT. So I, I worked in computer programming for a long time. I did contract work for the state. I did work in insurance companies on document flow systems. So, and every one of us had done that. I have a brother who's an accountant, another who's an engineer. We all chose other career paths. And in the case of myself, I've always been entrepreneurially driven. I've always been a bit of a salesperson. I got tired of doing computer programming for the state and doing what felt like two hours of work in an eight-hour day and uh, just decided, hey, heck with this. I'm going to go try selling tractors. (laughs) And uh, I stuck. And um, every one of us has had a similar journey like that where never really necessarily were told, hey, this is this is where you need to come, right? You got to join the family business. It was, no, you know, go find your own path. And if this is where you want to come, you've got a place here. It's been a great journey for all of us. It has brought so much value back into our business because of that. And the skill sets that we each have brought back have hugely paid dividends to the operation that we're able to run today. Can you give an example of, of something? I mean, the accountant, that, that makes pretty good sense. Yeah. What about your background in IT or, or maybe somebody else? Seasonally, kind of, I mean, you know how this business goes, right? We have our ebbs and flows. So I started selling equipment, and when it's February, (laughs) there's not a whole lot to do. The best story that I can tell on my part is that our our dealership has majorly grown into e-commerce. We are probably one of the most progressive dealers that you will find in that area. So if you visit, say, Messix.com, you'll find parts catalogs for all the major OEMs, a lot of the short lines and everything, all integrated into our website with pictures of parts, live inventory information, pricing information. It's a lot more rich than what you'll find from, say, the manufacturers themselves even because they're not able to provide a lot of that info. 
I, I have to admit, I have the Messix app on my phone. There you go. And so, I check part pricing when something breaks on my <laughs> red baler. First thing, yeah. how much is this going to cost me? Right. So that's me. So <laughs> um, <laughs> when you're selling equipment and you don't have anything to do, I just sat around and said, well, what, what am I going to do with this time to bring value to the dealership and, and my time here? So I created the very first Messix.com. I wrote all the APIs and the interfaces and everything to have another developer create the apps and stuff that you see today. And it's grown and grown. And my skill set now is very obsolete. I have a much more managerial role today and I have other programmers who help me. But we we grew into that whole realm of being very progressive for technology because of that background that I brought. And, And everybody in our dealership has kind of had Maybe not as transformational things as what I was able to bring, but that same kind of value by, you know, bringing that outside knowledge into our industry and finding ways to apply it to make us different. And yeah, that for me has been very obvious. What a fantastic look behind the scenes there. Yeah. I've had personal experience, but I've also heard some great things about when you call for parts. Can you take me through that customer experience like the backside? Let's uh, let's hear it. As a dealership, when you look at most dealers, uh, usually only a handful of people in their parts department. In the case of Messix, almost half of our staff works in parts. We have close to 120 or 130 people working in parts. So the the resources that are there are enormous. And the, the one place that we're able to really um, focus that customer experiences on when you pick up the phone and you call, right? Because uh, buying parts through the internet is not always easy. I mean, you know, you walk into a dealership parts counter, it takes knowledge to be able to dig through those things, to understand supersession chains of parts, to know the intricacies of those catalogs, which often don't make sense. So we do run a, a call center basically for tractors and equipment. By taking something into a call center type environment and with the levels of staffing that we have, you know, we have parts trainers and stuff that go through and they do regular parts training with these guys to make sure they know their stuff. As we go into every season, everybody's kind of pulled together to do refresher courses and everything on the types of equipment that are about to be headed to the field. Uh, we do a regular computer training so everybody understands how the systems work. So there's a lot of people behind it and that that infrastructure allows us to be able to focus and train so that when you pick up the phone and call, you get hopefully a knowledgeable person. You know, we, we've got new people like anybody else, but we try really hard in order to deliver good customer service, which unfortunately seems like can be really hard to find sometimes. What you're saying is you don't just leave the new guy to figure it out on his own. No, you don't just stuff him behind the counter and say, go, dude. You know, it's, yeah, there's a, a real ramp up. You know, it, it takes guys months before they're even really comfortable and proficient to just go at it on their own. You know, that they're, they're all involved in teams and they have coworkers and stuff available to them to help them along. And yeah, I mean, we, we try really, really hard to make that experience as seamless as possible. And the warehouse um, itself, is it in close proximity to the call center? Uh, so our of our five dealerships, um, we have our what we call our Elizabethtown store is our hub store. And our other locations are kind of satellite offices that are a lot slimmer as far as staff goes. More like a traditional dealership. Right. The, the call center that we would have literally is over top of the parts bins. So when those guys have a question, you know, what does this look like? Or can you give me a measurement on this? They literally walk down a flight of stairs and everything is right below them. That's pretty cool. 
So yeah, I mean it's it's become a cool thing. I mean it's, you'll you'll find there are manufacturers out there that when a, a customer calls into the manufacturer and they they don't know how to handle the person, they refer them to us. I mean it's we've become a huge resource for that kind of business. Um, it, it continues to grow every year. That sounds like some amazing adoption of technology in the agricultural sphere, and that's not what people always think about when they think about agriculture. Yeah. Yeah, and that I mean, I this is my job, so I could talk about this forever, right? But that that process continues. So you go to the point that whether you've placed an order on the website or you've had a parts technician help you find that order, all the logistics that happen after that then is also all software that we write. So your your traditional dealer business systems do not do this kind of stuff, right? So in an age of Amazon, we strive for that level of service. It's once that order is in the computer, the process of the parts getting ordered it in and then unpacked and then into the boxes and shipped out. Um, it's all our computer software that drives that process. So when we're on our game, uh, you'll place an order. If everything is in stock, um, it often can be less than 20 minutes before it's in a box, got a FedEx label on it, and you've got a tracking number in your email. So what you're telling me is that you're competing against Amazon. Absolutely. That's that's everybody's expectation today, right? I, I, we don't look at them as a competitor necessarily, but that's the style of business that we're all getting used to, right? I mean, I, my wife's not going to listen to this podcast, so I could tell you, you know, every other day something is coming because she picked it on the computer <laughs> and it's on the doorstep, right? Um <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how we roll anymore. Um, so that that's the expectation of our customers. And so that's what we strive for. That's pretty amazing. That's just really cool all the way across. And from somebody that uses your services, that is really, really neat to hear that you're trying to keep up with that speed. Because I'm here to tell you, and I know you've heard this before, when it's the middle of July and I'm trying to get hay put up, I want parts yesterday. Absolutely. So let's let's back up here a little bit. What lines of equipment do you carry? Case, New Holland, and Kubota. Uh, we would have those three majors. And then a lot of short lines. Crone, Peckway, Crustbuster. Those would be the major ones as far as your ag implements go. There's a lot of new... I mean, it, it's when manufacturers come out with models, it's pretty unusual. Like the that fast bail was new, right? That's not something we've seen before. A lot of the other changes you see are just incremental things, right? It's not that you know somebody comes out with a new machine and they just throw everything away. The incremental stuff that I feel like is coming down the pipeline is cool. I mean, granted, like obviously I'm a tech guy, right? So I like to see the introduction of screens into equipment and what some of the manufacturers are doing with it now. So backup cameras and stuff on, say, skid steers, right? I mean, we're putting skid steers onto every farm, and unfortunately, we all hear the injuries that happen with people that are around them all the time. So simple things like that, I think, are so smart and in the safety sake of things, so long overdue. So that's that's cool. And those things are often a double-edged sword, right? We introduce too much technology into a machine and we sacrifice reliability. I was just going to take us down that rabbit trail, if you're willing. Yeah. On sensors and farmers being able to service equipment. Can you take me through your thought process on, on Right that? to repair? I mean, like, okay, so I'm obviously, okay, we keep going back to the tech side again, right? Um I, I tinker, I load firmware into things. I like that kind of stuff. Um, so I absolutely appreciate everybody's desire to do some of those kinds of things. The thing that I think we got to watch is so often the interest in that stuff is EPA related and emissions equipment. 
and guys wanting to not just repair but remove. So let's let's separate this thought process out and say anything emissions related is off limits because it's a, a yeah. legal statute. And let's go into a few of the other things. So I, I love what you're doing there because once you separate that issue into those two halves and you kind of say, okay, the EPA-related stuff is over here. It is what it is. That's a separate issue. Yeah, we absolutely need to have a way for everybody to be able to have a issue in the field and be able to do some basic electronic diagnostics of what is the issue here? You know, what sensor am I going after? So simple things like that that don't require the power of the diagnostic laptops and stuff that we pay for really should be accessible. We go back to that screen again, right? Why why can't that screen be smart enough to be able to go through and tell you it's this sensor over here? Because it knows, right? Um, right. It's throwing you a code saying that it's that sensor. It's just hidden behind a code. Right. So it, it would be good to see the manufacturers kind of start to take that same stance and at least acknowledge, hey, to keep our customers in the field, uh, we need to be able to give them at least this portion of information that everybody deserves to know. I, I do understand, though, from the manufacturer side and from the dealership side, the investment that we make in that technology is insane. It is so expensive. Um, so I, I'm sure that's where a lot of this pushback is coming, is it, there does need to be some kind of revenue stream through the major OEMs, through whoever, to be able to pay for these things. A dealership like ourselves, we're paying tens and tens of thousands of dollars a year in licensing fees and adapter kits and hardware and dongles and you name it in order to be able to work on equipment. It's a huge, huge expense. My By my way of thinking, now I'm, I'm going to be gentle here and say that these are just my thoughts on this. I think a dealer, if they're confident in their product, they can also provide those same advanced diagnostics, the preventative maintenance kind of thought process while at the same time telling you hey it's this sensor on the bottom left corner of the tractor yeah. and oh by the way we sent the order to Messick so it'll be on your front porch tomorrow morning right yeah and you'll, you'll find I mean this varies by everybody's geographic area right and the part of the country where I'm located within an hour of here you can go to half a dozen really really top shelf dealers um and we are very forthcoming with that kind of information when the tools allow us to, because too often you have to plug that laptop in in order to get that baseline diagnostic, right? Where more meaningful codes would help get you there. There's a middle ground here between where everybody wants to be that hopefully the major OEMs start to move to. Because I, like a lot of people would agree today, I think they're being a little too heavy handed kind of where a lot of this is at right now, or, or just not wanting to have the conversation. I don't see from a legislative side that it's ever going to change because you've got companies like Apple who are also on that side of the fence, right? And fighting with that kind of money is going to be impossible. Unless the OEMs and the major tractor companies are just dead to the ears of their customers, it's they'd be fools not to. Right. I mean, the, the first guy out of the gate that starts to show they're willing to work on this kind of stuff will start winning. They win. They absolutely will win. Right. And I, I hope there's somebody out there that's starting to realize that. I think one of the things Hey Kings has been fairly good about is not having that civil discussion because that's not how the Internet works. Right. But rather 
Rather, there are a few people having these conversations, and I think it's really dependent upon saying, look, the emissions stuff, those are federal laws. We can't touch that. Right. But we certainly can have a discussion about anything that's on the baler that's not a powered unit. Sure. Or <clears throat> anything that's ancillary to the engine and emission systems on that tractor. You're, I don't think we're alone in these conversations, that's for sure. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> right. What are we going to see next? Thinking I, about technology and agricultural equipment. So as much, I, I oh, that's a great question. What are we going to see next? There, there's so many, there's two spheres here, right? There's there's the world of of really high dollar production farm Midwest stuff where they can afford a significant dollar investment in order to get that extra 1% of efficiency out of their crops. That is not the same customer as many of your Hickings audience and many of the people that I deal with every day, right? We're, we're not at that point where we can justify the $35,000 to make the tractor steer itself to put bales out, right? That just, that doesn't pay in most situations. I would suspect we're going to see more of this top end progress, more precision, probably autonomous tractors. That's coming, right? Those pictures that you see floating out there are prototypes. Those things are more real than what we think they are. That That's going to come. But I can't see the world that just eschews the traditional ag that we've always known of the reliable mechanical equipment that you can go out and wrench on whenever you want to. The, the industry needs both ends of the spectrum. So, yeah, I mean, uh, autonomy is going to come. Efficiency is going to come. I really wish drones would have taken off more than what they have. That, to me, looks like it's probably more hype than anything. Satellites are getting better than what the drones are ever going to provide efficiently. At least with human operators in line of sight. Yeah. If you start talking about more autonomous operation without those operators in visual line of sight, then then that's that would be a game changer for agriculture. I was so excited for that stuff. I when it, when the industry started to move, we actually went out. I, I bought a couple of, of large planes that could stay in the air for two hours and and really do a lot of mapping. And our dealership started to kind of explore that. And we just we couldn't. We couldn't make it easy enough. We couldn't make it fast enough. We couldn't, it just, we, there was no, we couldn't justify trying to go to a farmer and sell it because we couldn't show the value. And I still don't feel like that's there today. And technology will keep moving along. I mean, there's, there's no doubts about that, right? Wherever there's an opportunity that we can gain a little bit more efficiency, we're certainly going to try. Neil, it's been a pleasure talking to you. All these things that we covered, I learned so much about the way a dealership really should run. And I'm really encouraged by the actions that you guys are taking to support the industry. It is a pleasure talking to you. 